What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you. It is Twitter Tuesday on, on this podcast, so we're going to get to that here in just a minute. But first, we've got to talk about this Patrick Mahomes contract extension. The young man signed a 10-year extension with the Kansas City Chiefs that's worth $503 million. He gets $477 million in guarantee mechanisms. And this is a massive, massive, massive deal. Uh, it's an extension. He has two more years left on his deal, so it's an additional 10 years on top of the two uh, that he's already under contract for. So Kansas City has Mahomes under contract for the next 12 seasons. And there's a lot to unpack here. We're going to bring this to a Bills angle, talk about the implications on Josh Allen and that looming contract extension. Um, But I want to note some things here with Patrick Mahomes. First of all, we talk about the quarterback market. And did Patrick Mahomes just reset the quarterback market? Yeah, he did sort of. But I also think it's important to note that Patrick Mahomes is in a league of his own, right? Like, I mean, he he is he is in his own tier. And so I know that Dak Prescott has a contract situation that is looming. Deshaun Watson will be up, you know, here very soon. They, they were drafted the same year as Mahomes. But Mahomes is in another planet. I know he's only been a starter in the NFL for two years, right? He's a three. He's been in the league for three years. His first year, he sat behind Alex Smith. In 2018, his first year as a starter, he passed for 50 touchdowns, 5,097 yards, and how many rushing touchdowns? Did he? he had three rushing touchdowns. So 53 touchdowns He's he was responsible for. He was the NFL MVP in 2018. In 2019, he led his team to the Super Bowl. He was a Super Bowl MVP. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is special. He's He is in a tier of his own. I think that's kind of what you have to go back to. And so when you think about how this impacts, you know, Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson, and then you think the next year's quarterbacks is the Josh Allen year, the Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson, Josh Rosen year, it impacts it in a way, but nobody – that I just named, not named Patrick Mahomes, is going to get close to this kind of money. This is a rare situation. So I don't think we should be looking and preparing for a Josh Allen extension that is going to pay him anything like this. I mean, he's going to get paid a lot of money. If Josh Allen earns a lucrative long-term extension with the Bills, it will be for a significant amount of money. But it won't touch this. I mean, this is this is different. Where this immediately impacts the Bills is that his average salary, or Mahomes' salary is now factored into the average salaries for quarterbacks in the league. And when you talk about putting that fifth-year op- option and exercising that fifth-year option on Josh Allen, now Patrick Mahomes crazy amount of money per year is factored into this quarterback equation and it's going to pump it up even higher. So Josh Allen just became considerably more expensive to retain based on Patrick Mahomes' cap figure being added to this list. Now, we do need to learn a little bit more about the contract because 
Josh Allen's fifth-year option will be dictated by the salaries in 2021. So I don't know at what point Mahomes starts making astronomical money per year, but that will be the year where it makes that impact. I don't know how it's spread. If it's if it's literally a 10-year extension on top of the two, then it will not impact Josh Allen at all. But that could be the case, and it will impact quarterbacks down the line. But this is um, a big deal for the league, obviously, and with a quarterback entering year three, um, you know, you, you can't help but start to think about how this could impact Josh Allen and the Bills. I hope Josh Allen earns a contract that's greater than Patrick Mahomes. Now he's got some he's got some work to do, but physically speaking, Patrick Mahomes doesn't have any physical skill that Josh Allen doesn't have. There is not one thing physically that Patrick Mahomes can do that Josh Allen can't. And that's what's exciting about having Josh Allen as the Bills quarterback because he is limitless. Now he's got a ton of work to do. There's areas that Patrick Mahomes is special and natural and his ability to get off script and make great decisions and and use his physical tools much better than Josh Allen does to make big plays and win football games. But Josh Allen is not limited, and that's what's exciting to me. I think, obviously, this is your new prototype of quarterback in the NFL. It's not just guys that can win from the pocket, but it's guys that can get off script and make big plays and pick up chunks of offense. Nobody's done that better over the last two years than Patrick Mahomes. Historical, what he's been able to achieve. So, that's what's in the AFC conference now that the Bills will have to deal with. So, Tom Brady's out of the division, but Patrick Mahomes is in this conference, and for the Bills to get to the Super Bowl, they're going to have to beat the Chiefs. They're going to have to do that. And here's an interesting layer to this conversation. And this was put. This is a tweet that SpotRack put out, and this was before I think we knew the full amount of money in the Mahomes deal because so much of the early reports were uh, it for over four hundred million, and then it was four hundred and fifty million, and then it was over five hundred. So this is the tweet, and and I think it it, it pretty much speaks for itself. At forty five million dollars a year. Patrick Mahomes' average salary is 22.7% of the league's salary cap. The quarterback with the highest league cap percent to win the Super Bowl is Tom Brady in 2018 at 12.4%. Nearly half of the cap allocation that Patrick Mahomes is going to command. And that's been the debate. That's been the debate with paying quarterbacks is that they take up so much of your salary cap space that it really does restrict your off your 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 entire roster elsewhere. Your quarterback has to be so good that you can overcome shortcomings elsewhere on your roster. And so now you're taking this 12.4% of the cap that Tom Brady commanded in 2018 and you are basically doubling that. And the Chiefs are going to have to figure it out. They're going to be strapped because of the amount of money that they're paying Patrick Mahomes. Now, it seems like if there's ever a quarterback or a player that you would want to command that much of your cap, it would be Patrick Mahomes. 
However, this is unprecedented. And Mahomes is an unprecedented player. But the reality is the path forward now for the Chiefs, they've got Mahomes, right? They've got him for the next 12 years. Their quarterback situation is figured out. How do they continue to have enough around him to not have such a depleted roster that you're looking back at this in a few years and saying, Mahomes needs more help, but you you can't give him more help because you're paying him such a significant piece of your cap. It's a complicated situation. And I think that's why you're seeing Dallas being a bit cautious with the extension for Dak Prescott. That's why, I mean, you look at recent quarterback deals, you look at that Jared Goff deal with the Rams, doesn't look so hot right now. This is why it always goes back to drafting. The easiest solution, the easiest path forward for the Chiefs and whatever team pays their quarterback lots of money is to continue to have meaningful players on rookie deals. That's the challenge ahead for the Chiefs. And every, I mean, significantly for the Chiefs, but also every team that is committing such a sizable piece of their cap Two quarterbacks. Again, the, only, the the highest percentage of league cap to win the Super Bowl is Tom Brady in 2018 at 12.4%. Mahomes at $45 million a year is at 22.7%. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to think about. You can't one thing I'll tell you. The worst thing that a team can do in the NFL is pay the wrong quarterback. All right. Yeah. <laughs> You're committing massive amounts of your cap space to a quarterback that does not elevate the play of people around him and is not good enough to overcome deficiencies on the roster. That's where NFL teams get in trouble. And that's why I think you have to be calculated. Obviously, Mahomes in another world. And uh, he got paid like he's from another world. All right, let's get some Twitter Tuesday in. I'm probably not going to get to all of these, so if you don't hear your item... Today, I'll, I'll get to it tomorrow, but I had to touch on this Mahomes thing, especially with Josh Allen uh, being somewhat on the horizon here for an extension. And I mean, Mahomes was drafted in uh, 2017 and Josh Allen was drafted in 2018. So, you know, this this could be a next offseason type thing, depending on how this year goes for Josh Allen. If you don't hear your item today here on Twitter Tuesday, don't be alarmed. I'll get to it tomorrow. Um, but I wanted to spend time talking about Patrick Mahomes and that deal. Um, so we'll save anything we don't get to today for tomorrow. So let's start with Matt. Matt says, do you think Tremaine Edmonds will be used more gadgety this year? Also, which do you think is more likely a career year for picks or a career year for sacks? I like this question. Now what's challenging here about answering this is, I'm assuming when you mean gadgety, you're thinking more on blitzes and shooting gaps. And I think from a personnel perspective, based on the defensive line depth and some of the players that they added, I can see Tremaine Edmonds being more of a factor as a blitzer and a rush linebacker. I can see that. Now, the problem is when you do that, you take him out of coverage and coverage is very important for a 4-3 inside linebacker and Sean McDermott's scheme. So you are giving up something when you ask Tremaine Edmonds 
to rush instead of drop because Tremaine, obviously great movement skills. He's a great matchup neutralizer and he's got tremendous length, which influences passing lanes. I mean, that was a big part of what Tremaine was able to do last year that made him so effective. And his growth in coverage was notable last year. As a rookie, he allowed a 93.3 rating against his coverage. In 2019, his second year, he allowed a passer rating of 76.3 against his coverage. And, uh, I mean, he tackled better when he gave up a catch. Uh, I mean, so so that's the thing is you, you, you take that out of coverage um, – and uh, you rush. And he he blitzed more in 2019 than he did in 2018. In 2018, he blitzed 37 times. In 2019, he blitzed 64 times. So it's already something that's on the uptick. Um, but I think it's something that you want to balance it. I think you want to pick your spots when you, when you send them through a gap um, based on situation and personnel groupings. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not quick to take him out of coverage, uh, to be honest with you. So your follow-up question was, do I think he's more likely to have a career year for picks or sacks? Well, so far his career high for interceptions is two, and his career high for sacks is also two. So uh, which one do I think he'll have a better chance to get to three? I will go with sacks. I will go with sacks. I think he's more likely to have three sacks than three interceptions. But I think both are obtainable. Um but I do think that from a personnel perspective, you know, you think about Zoe not being in the mix. You think about a lot more heavy-handed, long, long-armed compression-style players on the defensive line, and you can see a pathway for Tremaine, even if he has the same amount of blitz opportunities, for him to be able to convert more of that into sacks. Chris says, I'm a huge McBean fan. And I think overall they've done a great job in their short tenure together. However, I do do feel like they gave our quarterbacks and offense in general the short end of the stick when choosing not only to not address the wide receiver position, but also ship away some of the talent we had on the roster. Those decisions proved to limit our offensive abilities. Um, and he notes separation off the line of scrimmage. Defenses reacted by putting more guys in the box, etc. This year I'm having deja vu all over again when it comes to our secondary. We had an offseason with some decent options and a draft class with a chance to take a high upside cornerback, but we chose to draft players that were higher on our board. At what point can we consider the Bills brass obsession with best player available and value contracts, dare I say, neglectful? Appreciate this question, Chris. And and I think when you point to some of the stuff that they did early on um, with the offensive personnel, um, it was very much... Um, to get some contracts out of the way and get players out of the way that didn't fit long-term. And and it wasn't that – I don't think that McBean intentionally did something because they they wanted to, in, to deplete offense. I felt like they were doing what they had to do in order to set the roster up for long-term success. And I think we're starting to reap the benefits of that. And we saw how uh, when they ripped the, the Band-Aid off of all that dead cap and um, were able to start bringing in their own players – uh, that things turned, right? We we have to be very happy with how Brandon Bean completely rebuilt an offense last year, right? Wide receiver, tight end, running back, offensive line. The whole thing was rebuilt. Going into last season, Deion Dawkins and Josh Allen were the only two returning starters. So that was fixed, right, in, in a way. Now, I am probably, I thought I was the, the most pessimistic person when it comes to cornerback two 
on this football team, but it sounds like Chris Chris might be a little bit more uh, pessimistic than me when it comes to that situation. First of all, when we talk about secondary, in general, you're talking about a defense that finished in the top four the last two years in pass defense. And pretty much all of those players are back, right? Like the same safeties, Hyde, Poyer, you got Trey White back. It's the same guys in the slot, Taron Johnson, Saran Neal, Dean Marlowe. Cornerback two is where things gets a little bit shaky, but Levi Wallace has been the man there for the last year and a half. In 2017, the guy was EJ Gaines. You throw in Josh Norman, and you've got three guys that have been successful for the Bills' defensive scheme, two guys that have been successful for this Bills' team under McDermott and Frazier. And, you know, as much as I, I wanted to have a more talented option – opposite of Trey White, and I've articulated that over and over again in this podcast, I think at a certain point you have to say McDermott's always been able to figure it out. He's always had this revolving door at at one of the cornerback spots, and it has not been really that detrimental to his team's success or his defensive secondary success. And so as much as I'm concerned about it, as much as I wish wish it was different, I don't know that I can say anything close to it being neglectful, to be completely honest with you. And, um, I mean, when when you have a secondary, we'll call it four starters, two corners and two safeties, and three of them are outstanding starters, right? Trey White, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, those are outstanding starters. Naturally, you're probably going to have one spot that isn't quite up to speed, but, you know, for me, I saw opportunities to make that better, whether that was bringing back Kevin Johnson uh, signing a different veteran corner than Josh Norman. There's guys that I thought had a little bit more in the tank that came on bargain deals for other teams, whether that was drafting a corner earlier in the draft in the seventh round. I thought there was opportunities to improve that. But at the end of the day, I think what it comes down to is is you strip strip all of strip it all aside and it comes down to at CB2, there are three options that have all been very successful with Sean McDermott. One of them's got to stick, and that's where I'm banking on things working out this year when it comes to CB2. J.O., welcome back, my friend. Got a chance to uh, exchange uh, some words with J.O. on uh, when I was doing Greg Tomsett's podcast with Cover One on Sunday night, and he was in the chat. So I, I called him out and said, brother, where you been? I have not gotten a question from you in a while. And so here he is. J.O. says, hey, Joe, I hope you had a fun and safe holiday Fun pod last night on Cover One with Greg. For Twitter Tuesday, do you foresee the Bills putting Christian Wade's rugby skills to the test as a punt returner slash kick returner this preseason? Well, I guess the first question is, do we really have a preseason? It doesn't doesn't look good there. Uh, let's assume for the spirit of the question that we did, and I would say yes. Andre Roberts, I don't need to see him in preseason returning punts and kicks. I know that he can do that. He's been doing it in the league for a long time. He's as solid as they come. Finishing the top 10 in both kick return and punt return average last year in the NFL. I mean, you, Andre Roberts is outstanding. So I don't need to see him in preseason. But for Christian Wade, a guy that needs to find ways to prove he can help the football team, extending his athleticism and seeing what he can do as a returner is something I am quite interested in. And I think that's a very good idea. Because right now, I don't know that I have a whole lot of confidence in him to be a running back. Right, I mean, there's so much that goes into that. He's so new to playing football. We also don't have any. We don't haven't had any checkpoints with him. It's not like we've seen him play since the preseason. We have no idea where this guy's at. 
Um, so because I think no, just as a product of the situation that he's in, he's going to be underdeveloped as a running back. Well, if, if, if we like your athletic athletic ability and you, we think you can do some things at running back, but we can also do some gadgety things with you on offense. Oh, by the way, we can also have you as our returner and you're good at that and you're reliable at that. Then sure. And yeah, you got to find out if he can do it. And the way to do that is in the preseason. But I think no preseason is not good news for Christian Wade. Vin says, Joe, I was hoping to get your take in the ownership of the Bills. The Pagulas nailed it with McDermott and Bean. On the outside, it appears that they've let their let them hire whomever they want and don't get in the way. Same cannot be said for the Sabres. I have concerns over the rumors that have come out regarding the Pagulas, supposedly not having money. A few months back, I remember reading about things supposedly being toxic in the football operations. I'm not sure what you can really answer on this other than to speculate yourself. I think I speak for most fans and don't want to see anything happen uh, to what Bean and McDermott have built. So I figured eventually I'd, I need to share some thoughts on this. And, and I think, Vin, I think you package this question in a way that um, opens an opportunity for me to address this the best that I can. Um, before I got to do football work full time, I was in business management for, I guess, like 13 years. Um, I had two long runs with two different companies doing different things, but I was in business management. My first job, uh, I, I got myself to a position where I had a staff of 12. And in my next job, I had a staff of over 30 people, 33 full-time employees that I was responsible for. And I made hiring decisions with both companies. And I can tell you that over the course of my stints with each company, I did some really good things and some very, I had some very good moments that I was proud of, and I was really proud of how business grew and, and, and all those types of things. But there were points in time where I just didn't have the right people and the business wasn't as successful as it could have been. And we had to take our lumps and we had to overcome things. And it wasn't because I was not as good of a manager or um, I became less talented at what I do or I lost competence. I just didn't have the right people. And so everything, I think every business from football to retail to, you know, whatever typical offices and businesses that exist out there, it's all, it always goes back to, to people, you know, and, and who you surround yourself with and, and um, what type of leader you are and if uh, you know how to get the most out of people. And, and when you have the wrong people in place, it becomes challenging. And I feel like what you have here is – Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, you have a situation where Terry and Kim were able to hire exactly the right people for the Buffalo Bills, and they were able to get out of the way. And it doesn't seem like they've been able to do that on the Sabres side. Now, I'm admittedly not very knowledgeable when it comes to the Sabres. I, I haven't followed the team very closely. Um, I just know that they haven't been good, and there's been a lot of turnover at coach and general manager. And since the Pagulas have bought the team, there's been literally no success. And uh, a ton of disappointment and expectations not being met. And obviously they just keep hiring the wrong people. Well, yet maybe at some point you have to say, well, can they hire the right people? Do they need help? You know, I don't know. They were able to get the right people in place for the bills. So, I mean, they, they can do it, but I think that's what this comes back to. I think they've had a, a string of bad hiring decisions and it's cost them. 
and it's created a lot of doubt in what they can turn the Sabres into. But the, the point that I wanted to make here that I, I resonated with me at least is that I can look at businesses that I've run um, and I can admit that there were stretches where performance wasn't what I wanted it to be and it just came down to not having the right mix of people. And I know that this is becoming long for the, for the Sabres and people are tired, but yeah, it's not going to get different until they get the right mix of people. And let's hope whoever this guy that the general manager is now is, is the truth and they figure it out. And, um, I will say this. I think that there's always a little bit of luck involved, um, with, I mean, hiring with making those types of decisions. And, you know, I, I think that there's people that have do a better job hiring, but at the end of the day, I think there is some luck involved that I think is worth acknowledging. I really do. Next one here comes from look to your right. Uh, who says, Joe, serious, how dope is that blacked-out color helmet? Any chance we get new Color Rush uniforms? I know it's kind of random, but I hate the red ones. Thank you. I, I like random questions like this. And so uh, Look to Your Right sent me a Twitter DM, and he included two different helmets in in the, the pictures that accompanied the, the question. And one of the helmets is the typical Bills helmet that you see them wear all the time. And then the other one is a, it looks like it's a matte black helmet with a black face mask. And then the same Bill's logo that you typically see in the same stripe that you typically see, but it's only a red outline. There's no shading uh, at all. Now there's shading for the stripe. Now the stripe is solid red across the middle, uh, followed by two much slimmer red stripes. But the, the Buffalo on the side of this black matte helmet is just it's just the outline of it. I think it looks really sharp. Now, there's also a big part of me that I love the red, white, and blue. I love it's like that beautiful royal blue. I think it's that bright red, the white. I think it's a beautiful uniform that I, I wouldn't touch. Um, but I, I think I think there's some potential here with this black and red concept, except for I look at it, and the whole time I'm thinking, where's the blue? I want the blue. And so I, fe- I, I, do, feel, I do feel somewhat... I do feel that when I look at this. I feel like I'm missing blue. And black is a great color for uniforms. Black and red might be the best combination of colors you can have for a uniform, especially for like an intimidating factor. But black is not really one of the Bills' colors. And so I I almost, not almost, I do get annoyed whenever I see alternate uniforms that don't have your actual colors in them. You remember when Oregon was in the national championship several years ago and they didn't even wear their school colors? They wore like uh, uh, silver and white was their uniforms. It's like Oregon is green, yellow, and white. Like how did they, how are you going to be in the national championship game and not wear your school colors? I kind of get that vibe here where I think this looks good, but I'm annoyed that it doesn't have blue and it does have lots of black and black's not one of the Bills colors. So that's, that's my take there. Maybe that was more than you bargained for. Uh, maybe not, but, um, uh, that's, that's how I feel about that helmet. I, I, I like the all red. I just wish they did it with, uh, white pants. That w- that's my gripe about the red color rush uniforms. Give me the white pants with it. Um, and I think that would be a really sharp look. All right, let's get one more in here today. We'll save the rest for 
tomorrow. Ali says, with the cap possibly being an issue next year, if you were the GM and a team offered a second-round pick for either Deion Dawkins or Matt Milano, would you take it or take your chances in resigning them with limited cap space? And then he said, P.S. Monday's pod, no Cordy Glenn, question mark. I did have Cordy Glenn. Cordy Glenn was the other offensive tackle along with Jason Peters. Uh, to the question, no, I wouldn't take a second-round pick for either one of those players. Um, I want them to be on the football team uh, this year, so I definitely don't want to not have key players, the starting left tackle and your you know, your other off-ball linebacker next to Tremaine Edmonds that plays literally every snap for your defense. So I'm not interested in not having them this year. And the reward being a second-round pick, I mean, in the second round, you hope that you get a starting linebacker or starting left tackle. And so I, I like the sure thing. Uh, I think the Bills have limited cap space, but it's not it's not completely restrictive to where I don't see a path for these guys being re-signed. So I will take my chances re-signing them, but I think more importantly, I want to have them for this year and uh, obviously a year where we expect the Bills uh, to win a lot of football games and hopefully make a deep push for a playoff run. All right, that's going to do it for us today. I've got a bunch left for tomorrow. Sean, Jack, MJ, Josh, Max, Mike, a different Mike, and Brad. Your stuff is coming up tomorrow, uh, but I, I I had to commit some time here to talk Patrick Mahomes, so thanks for uh, being patient with me, and we'll get to the rest of those tomorrow. Uh, don't miss it. There's some great questions coming up. Make sure that you are subscribed. Rate, review, and share the podcast, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.